not only is it fun and a great campaign, but it's also it's just based on the toys. There's no extra fluff and crap or you know added tchotchkes. There's no pins and shirts and posters and stickers. They even asked a bunch of artists to do $500 customs to meet their goal. Like if this thing funds and it will, it's based on just the merit of the toys, and I love that. I'm, 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 but I'm the asshole anyways, but I kind of, I kind of agree with all that. It's, I mean, you're setting up a new platform, but you're also setting up that the platform doesn't matter. I'm, I'm surprised no one ever made a toy with nowhere before. Like she has so many great paintings that could become toys. So I, I felt like I kind of got in there and, and got this great opportunity as a producer that a lot of other producers somehow I don't know how people missed her, but she's amazing. Hey, Toy Family. Welcome to the 100th episode of the Marsham Toy Hour, where we discuss anything and everything designer toys. I'm Gary Ham. I'm Teresa Hawkins. I'm George Gaspar. And joining us tonight is Aaron of Martian Toys. Welcome back, Aaron. Hey, thanks. Can you believe we've reached 100 episodes now? That's a milestone. Yes. Congratulations. I can't believe you're still doing it. Uh, we, we surprise ourselves every week. <laughs> and you guys are hanging in there with me. It's not just me. And Aaron, actually, you started the podcast with me, so you've been there since the beginning. And I'm pretty sure we've surprised a lot of people. I mean, I know we've surprised ourselves. I think going into this, I'm sure ourselves and our listeners, most of us probably didn't think we would last more than a few episodes. And yet, here we are, 100 episodes later, and still managing to find things to talk about. It's, it's crazy. Our next milestone is going to be what? A thousand. A th- no, I, I'll give you 150. Let's make it to 150 and see what happens. Okay. But no, seriously, I mean, thanks for all the support. You guys have been awesome. Um, yeah, exciting. We've been doing this almost regularly, weekly, for almost two years now. So congrats, everyone. Yeah. That's not shabby. And no, and it's good to have you on, Aaron. I know you were kind of a, in the beginning of it. It's just good to have you back on. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, lots of... You know, lots changed since the early days, so it's good to be back on and catch everyone up. Now, where are you right now, Aaron? I'm sitting on a terrace on the fourth floor overlooking a pool in Bangkok, Thailand. So You lucky bastard. Yeah. Sounds nice. <laughs> now, you're actually taking time off because you were spending last weekend at uh, Thailand Toy Expo, so now this is like your personal vacation? Yeah, exactly. I, I landed in Thailand on... The second, the show was Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, thir- May 3rd through 6th. Okay. And then my wife and I, we leave on Sunday morning. So, we, yeah, we spent an extra week here. She she came after the show. She didn't really, uh, you know, she's been to enough shows, so she, she kind of <laughs> stayed away. She landed the Sunday after the end of the show, and okay. we, we've just been kind of sightseeing and taking it easy. And I've kind of enlisted a few people to help me back stateside so we can get ready for five points. Okay. Well, Eric, we definitely want to get talking to you about your Thailand Toy Expo um, experience and all that stuff. But first, I think we should talk about another significant thing going on this week. And today, the release date of this episode is May 15th. And this is a date a lot of people have been waiting for since actually Christmas Eve. On Christmas Eve, um, someone went to Huck G's website and saw that there was a countdown. And underneath that countdown, there was a little pink button, and that said Super Plastic. And um, actually, I think it was the Toy Chronicle that discovered all this stuff. So they clicked that link and they discovered that Paul Budnitz, the founder of Kid Robot, 
is uh, starting up a new toy company, which is really exciting because Paul has not had, had a presence in the toy scene since he left Kid Robot in 2012, I believe. So it looks like he's back. He's wanting to do toys again. And uh, surprisingly enough, he hired Huck G to be his creative director and producer. So that's exciting too because a lot of people remember back in, I think it was last June, August, uh, Huck you know, sent out his farewell letter to the designer toy scene saying his you know, he's going to shutter the studio doors after 15 years and, you know, find, you know, just kind of move on. And so it's really exciting. And it's great news that Paul and Huck are joining forces again and starting up Super Plastic. And we've been waiting five months and we've been seeing some leaks of things that they got going on. And one of them was this toy called Janky. We never knew that many much details, but the past couple of weeks we've been seeing 3D image leaks of some artist designs for the series. And I think a lot of us were expecting these toys to actually be purchasable on May 15th. And away they sort of are, but they kind of did it in an, like a, gave like an M. Night Shyamalan twist to it. We uh, are not going to be able to, they're not readily available. They're not instantly purchasable. But what May 15th actually is, is the release date of their Kickstarter campaign. So that is currently going on now. You can go to Kickstarter, you can search Subaru Plastic or Janky and that'll you know open up for you or the link is gonna be in our show notes. So yeah, guys, we were getting this link five days in advance, so it's a, it's a draft. I imagine what the listeners are gonna be seeing is a little bit different than what we're currently seeing, but I'm gonna send you the link now. Take a look and let's discuss. So Gary, I'll start while while we give Aaron and George a second to kind of look in and see what's what, because we had a chance to kind of preview it a bit ahead of time. I've kind of been able to absorb that it's going to be a Kickstarter for a little more time than just being given the news. And I'll admit, when I first heard it, I was I was kind of bummed. I was like, oh man, like all this build up and excitement and hype for our Kickstarter, it's kind of like, oh, this kind of, I don't know, it just feels a little bit, eh. And I think part of it is like the whole time you're thinking, oh, May 15th, the release date, we're finally going to see actual products, we're going to be able to buy them and get them in hand this month, it's going to be awesome. So when you hear that it's a Kickstarter and they're not actually ready yet to buy, it's a little bit of a letdown. But I think once the, the surprise sort of wore off and I kind of got used to it and got to dig into the details, I got um, a lot more excited so I'm, I'm curious to see what everyone is going to think about it. But I think the, the Kickstarter concept, um, all the different designs are finally revealed, the levels. So I don't know. I, at first I was kind of bummed, but now that I've seen it and now I'm, I realize, okay, we just have to wait a little longer to get them, I'm, I'm more excited. Yeah. I'm ready for it. I have the exact same initial reaction as you. And, um, but now we know some info, so let's go ahead and share what that is. So it's, the toy is called Janky, and now we know the sizes. And there's going to be two different sizes, and their first size is a three-inch size, and this is like the size that they're using for their blind box style version of the toy, or what they're calling surprise box. Um, there's 20 designs done by 16 different artists, and they are all super sweet looking. And uh, the next size up is an eight-inch janky, and that is designed by El Grand Chamaco. This is the one that we saw leaked on social media a couple weeks ago. Um, a striking blue and red design. Very cool. And in addition to those two jankies, there is an all-new, all-original sculpt designed by Pete Fowler. And this is really cool because uh, Pete Fowler fans, we have not had a new Pete Fowler toy 
uh, in several years. So it's very awesome that Super Plastic is now working with Pete, and uh, he's designed this all-new toy called Maximilian Cash. It's going to be a 9-inch vinyl figure, and you can get it first through this Kickstarter campaign. So I'm really excited about this campaign. Uh, campaign. I think all the designs look really, really great. Um, I'm definitely going to be backing one of the tiers. I guess the only letdown is... I can't, these aren't going to be on my shelves next week. It's something that I still have to wait for. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like, oh, finally, finally. Because especially like we were seeing, um, you know, the the Five Points poster released um, a couple weeks ago. And in the hand of the little octopus dude is a janky. So you're thinking, oh, like in my head the whole time, I kept thinking, janky's going to be at Five Points, like to buy and see yeah. and purchase. And yeah. so... I mean, I think there, in some way, is probably going to be a janky presence. Uh, I'm not sure, I guess, what that's going to be. But it's just one of those things you get so hyped up in your head. So when you hear it's this, you're just like, oh. So, it, again, it's not necessarily because of the Kickstarter. It's just, oh, man, but I wanted them now. <laughs> <laughs> we can be so greedy. Can I, just take a page from uh, Bossy Bear. It's mine. Give me. And that's kind of how a lot of collectors are. We just, we see things, especially when you've been teased about it for five months. We, we want these things already. And unfortunately, there's going to be at least another five, probably most likely 10 months for it. And, and that's the most disappointing thing. But I also know another disappointing aspect to this is that they've decided to use Kickstarter. And, and that's unfortunate because I know a lot of people believe that, you know, Kickstarter, there's just a stigma yep. to it, and um, I think we kind of need to get over that. Kickstarter is an amazing way to drum up finances and a great way to help marketing, and that's all the eyeballs on designer toys through something as popular as Kickstarter is only going to help our scene, and it's only going to help ease the pressure and the financial woes of, of the producers. And uh, and again, they're only asking for $25,000, and I say only because that's probably like a quarter of the money that they're actually going to need for manufacturing of the toy, the toys on this scale. So they're not asking for much. And I think they're primarily using Kickstarter as a marketing tool since they're asking for so little, or they have financial backing in other means. But um, another thing that I want to point that I really love about this campaign, not only is it fun and a great campaign, but it's also, it's just based on the toys. There's no extra fluff and crap or you know added tchotchkes there's no pins and shirts and posters and stickers they even asked a bunch of artists to do $500 customs to meet their goal like if this thing funds and it will it's based on just the merit of the toys and I love that me too so George Aaron you guys have had some time to look at it what do you guys think George Uh, go first Aaron (laughs) okay um (laughs) Well, I don't think $25,000 goal is, is anything to sneeze at. Yeah, it, it doesn't co- cover the cost, but it would probably co- cover the tooling or it would cover, I don't know, maybe it would cover all of the the, the three-inch ones. I mean, yeah, it's not going to cover all their costs. Um, it's also like, why take from, what, Christmas Eve? That seems like a long buildup just to get to a Kickstarter, like, <clears throat> that's yeah. annoying. And I, I, I think I can say that pretty objectively that most people are going to be like, you, you teased us for five months to get to a Kickstarter because a yeah. Kickstarter is a tease. So it's a tease to say, okay, now you're going to be, now we're going to tease you for another, what is it? Another, <laughs> the Kickstarter lasts a month, but then what do you think the release date for these are? End of summer? Right. They're saying Ooh. January, 2019. Oh God. I mean, that's like, that's ridiculous to take five months to tease for a Kickstarter and then 
you're looking at another six months or more to get to, to people get, getting these in their hands. As far as the designs go, I mean, yeah, it's a great artist. A, a lot of these guys are like friends of mine, like Matt and and Jason. I mean, those are great designs. Well, let's take a second. I didn't even read off the list of artists in the series. So in Janky Series 1, the artists are Ricardo Carvolo, El Gran Chamaco, Dalek, Camelia D'Erico, Pete Fowler, Hucky, Mark, Mark Gimling, <laughs> Joe Ledbetter, Jason Lamone, Mick Best, Junka Mizuno, Dolly Oblong, Jake Parker, Sket One, Tato, and Ruby I Young. So that's a great list. It's a, it's a stacked deck, I think. A lot of big names. A lot of well-known names in the designer toy world. When I look at the designs, too, and I think you probably agree, Teresa, like a lot of times when a minifigure series comes out, it leans heavily one way or the other. It's either all cute yep. or all very masculine. And I think this has a pretty good mix of both. I think it's a great mix. I think it's it's kind of got the spectrum. It's got stuff that I look at and I'm like, mm, I don't really like. It's got stuff I'm like, hmm, I kind of like. And then I'm like, okay, yeah, I really like. So I feel like it covers the gamut of variety that I, that I like to see in a series. I like that. And honestly, there's some where at first glance, I'm, I kind of look at it and I'm like, yeah, I don't know. But I'm like, I don't know. It's growing on me. The exciting part for me is obviously seeing some of the artists that hadn't been revealed on social media yet. Right. Stylistically, like Booby and Tato and Huck kind of fall in my wheelhouse. But like Dolly Oblong was one I was really excited to see and Jason Lamone. And through the Kickstarter, you can now actually see their designs. And they're both fantastic. And Jason Lamone's might be my favorite now. It's so good. It's stunning. I absolutely love that one. And if they can make the final toy look anything like that 3D render, it's going to be just a gorgeous piece to have. And we should probably talk about the 3D renders, too. So the past couple of weeks, all the images that we've seen have all been 3D, 3D renders. And for a lot of us, it's, it's gotten really hard to tell the difference between what's 3D and what's actual physical product. And I think that's one reason that kind of led a lot of us to believe that this was actually going to be toys that we can purchase today. But um, what I like about them doing that is it gives us a closer look to what the toys are probably going to end up looking like in the end. A lot of toy companies just show you the vec- the flat vector art, and I don't feel like that's a great enough resemblance to the final piece. So I like the fact that Super Plastic took, took the time and the money to actually wrap the 3D renders and the 2D art provided by the artist. I think that's going to give us a closer look to what the toys actually are. Yep, and that was the one thing that, um, you know, right now, as we're previewing it, since the Kickstarter's, in preview mode there's still a lot of placeholders out here so it's not kind of finalized yet for us to get our eyes on um the one thing that is missing for me that i hope they'll be adding is actual product shots or examples that are more than just the 3d one renders so i'm hoping they'll have an example of either a toy in hand even if it's just a blank or something just so we can see a non-rendered version of it I think it's super exciting. I don't know. At first it was kind of like, eh, but now the, you know, the more you see it and dig in, you're like, okay, yes, let's do this. Yeah. Well, Teresa, it's probably not what you're wanting to see, but they do have a four foot janky that you're going to be able to see at five points. That is true. 
So I guess to I, I guess I explain this a little bit more. So at Five Points Fest in a couple weeks, they are doing a giveaway for a four foot janky. I guess Paul and Huck will be doing a panel discussion there, and at the panel they're going to be giving away a four foot janky. So you can enter the giveaway for the the four foot janky at uh, go to fivepointsfest.com, look in the the latest announcements down there, and there'll be a link for you to click on. All you have to do is submit your email address, and you'll be entered in the contest. Uh, we will provide a link to that in our show notes as well. So good luck to whoever's going to win that awesome thing. Yep. The really the really cool thing, the cherry on top, is that if you're in the U.S., they'll actually ship it to you for free. Nice. So I entered that bad boy. Yeah. But, hey, you know what? I entered. If I get a janky, I'll find a way to find a place to put it in this house of mine. It'll be awesome. Well, not everyone's going to be able to win that four-inch but, one. But, uh there is another way to earn extra jankies to your your order if you back the campaign. And if you go scroll down to the bottom of the campaign, am I right, Teresa? It's at the bottom, and then if there's like a referral link. And anyone who clicks that referral link and they back the campaign, then they'll earn themselves an extra janky, right? Uh, let's see. I was trying to find that one. It's we'll, – we'll add a free janky series toy to your reward for every new backer you refer. No limits really. So it says for every single person you refer, you'll get a free janky blind box. Nice. That's pretty crazy. No, it's, it's awesome. Actually, yeah. we're, we're kind of sounding a little infomercially because I'm going to I'm gonna add more. <laughs> wait, but wait, there's more. Uh, by funding the Kickstarter campaign, you can also uh, – get the chance to add the King Janky the first uh, launch limited launch edition toy. This one's designed by Huck G and Paul Budnitz. You can only get this one through Kickstarter and it's pretty cool. It's a little uh, lion character with a crown. He's holding a gold club, gold plated shoes. But what my favorite part is he's got these awesome little uh, rad Argyle socks and I love it. So you can only get that one through going through the Kickstarter campaign. Um, so that's really neat. Um, but okay. So enough of the infomercial. Let's George, you're the resident Kickstarter expert. What do you think of all this? Drum wall. Uh, I, I mean, it's definitely well, it's a well thought out campaign for sure. I mean, it looks really nice. They've got all the right, you know, they've got all the right stuff to go. That really low uh, goal is going to be really helpful. Like Aaron was saying, that's it's plenty to cover at least the tooling for the three inch figures, you know. So getting that funding, while it would never cover this whole project that they have involved, hitting the goal early is always helpful on Kickstarter because it helps you gain momentum. When people see a successful project, they jump in. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a instead of saying like what they really need, you know, which would probably be like a hundred thousand, at least double that. <laughs> yeah, at least at least double that, if not triple or more. They, you know, putting it at a low goal like that will help people get in. It'll fund fast and then it will, it'll be one of those like, wow, look how fast it's funded. I got to jump on. I don't want to miss it. So it's really smart. And, uh, the campaign is set up really nice. Like, like Teresa was saying with those achievements and everything, like that's something that exploding kittens did and it really helped their campaign. It really got people like involved. And when they get involved on social media, they're posting more. And when they're posting all these things, other people are seeing it. So it really helps spread the word. So mm-hmm. they've done all the right things. They've definitely done their homework and studied successful campaigns to see what works. And I also too like that they're not, cause like right underneath, I mean, even underneath Huck's name where it says like who the artists are, it's like, uh, Huck's custom toys sell for as much as 50,000 and he exhibits everywhere. Well just sell a custom toy then and fund this. Right. But 
that's not the that's not the point. The point of this is like to to have fun and make this cool event of, about the release, you know. So it's it's definitely they're not using this they're not using Kickstarter to fund their project. They're using it to to have a good time releasing this project into the world. And I think it's a great use of it. I think that's that's what you know that's what Kickstarter's for. I like I that. I agree with all that, George. But what about the fact that they took this long to you know from from first of the year until till may till middle of may to to get to this point like i mean i guess i don't really tease? i i don't really care like i like the tease i don't it didn't matter to me like i'm not like sitting at home with bated breath for this toy so like for me i'm just like who cares take as long as you want like it'll come out when it comes out if i was like super excited i'm like i can't wait to buy this thing Maybe I would feel differently, but I, I don't give a crap about this shape at all. To be honest, the thing on this page that interests me most is that Pete Fowler figure. Um, as far as a new shape of Dunny, I don't care. I don't, I don't need another Dunny. I don't collect Dunny anyway, so that part doesn't excite me. I, do, I will definitely follow this campaign. I'll probably, I'd like to back for that Maximilian Cash Pete Fowler figure. That thing looked great. Yeah, that's the um, one I'm going to get, George, with the one with the Maximilian Cash. I think it comes with three... Three other jankies and the the king janky, which I can which I could sell on eBay later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, like, or I wait, George, if you do the if you do that level, because so the hard part about this right is that they're blind box. So obviously there's certain designs I prefer more. So if right. you don't want them, I want to know what you get, and I'll swap with you first, <laughs> Teresa, and then you can sell the ones I don't want. Teresa, it's gonna be You're a year from now before, before we get anything. <laughs> I want, I'm getting in, George. I want them. If they haven't even, if they haven't even done any kind of outputs and and tooling and all that, or like if they haven't even done any kind of prototyping, these things are not going to be here by January 2019. Like this is going to be a late campaign if they haven't started any of that already. So well, you know, the the one thing I'm curious about though is this design. I thought. And I know I wasn't on the episode when you all initially talked janky, but isn't this based off of one of the, the DIY figures Huck was working on before he shuttered? Isn't this, doesn't he already have a mold or a design for it? Or am I wrong? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I, I saw some blanks and I know the Go Life Raku is kind of similar, but it's not the same thing. What's that, that figure that's up for that figure that's up in the Designer Toy Awards this year? That's Huck's custom. Isn't that two bits? Oh, you know what? You're right. I think it wasn't best. No, that one's from the best uh, resin category. So his um, Flynn sketch character, who you guys are saying is two bits. But yeah, the, the guy riding the badass motorcycle. So yeah, I think that's who uh, this character is based off of. The Shanky's based off of. Yeah, maybe I'm just getting them mixed up between. I still hate that it's called Janky because it yeah, still makes me. Yeah, you guys talked just... about that before. Because of the shout out to toys. Janky Toys because I <laughs> just toys. I hate that this is stealing it. I know it's yeah. been, you guys mentioned it before, Janky. and uh, you know one thing I was when this platform came out, uh, I think myself and a lot of other people we weren't sure if this if how good of a platform was this going to be because it seemed. Um, it's definitely going to work great for Huck. It, it definitely fits his characters, but how is it going to work for a lot of other artists? Because, you know, it seemed very defined in certain areas and could it be limiting to some other artists? Yep. And I got to say, after seeing 16 artists tackle the, the platform, I am highly impressed with the designs that have been put forth so far. I mean, they've been great. I mean, I, I really thought I would just primarily see a lot of cats and dogs and raccoons and just a lot of animal designs submitted, but I don't think that's been the case, although there are some. Yep. 
Not yeah, they're foxes I... and sneakers, every one of them. <laughs> no, it's not, well, no, it's not true. A lot of them were. No. It looks like they took different, they have different shoes too. So there are, there is a sneaker and then there's a plain foot. That's nice to see because that sneaker design alone would, would have been terrible to do. That is the first time I'm seeing that. There's actually three. It looks like there is a plain shoe with no laces at all. Then there is the one on Joe Ledbetter's where it's more of like a combat boot with tight oh, yeah. laces. And then there's like yeah. a lot of the other ones where it's a thicker shoe with bigger laces. So, and then wait, Hucks yeah. is more fancy shoes, like dress shoes. No, I think that's still the laces one. No, it's not. They, uh, it's not. It's not. It's the Joe Ledbetter one. It's different. Oh, okay. No, it, it looks different. But you sure I think, it's not just paint? Uh, it looks different to me, but who knows? Well, what do you guys think about, like, from a purist platform standpoint? Like, they've jumped right in. You know, they're obviously they're not all the same. They've changed some of the tooling on some of these. Like, to me, if this is going to be a blind box series and they're going to do series one, two, three, I don't think you start doing stuff like that until series four. Um, you know, with Jasper, like I had one of the artists to say, oh, can I have wings instead of arms? And I was like, no, not, not now, maybe later, maybe in three, four years. But I, I thought the whole idea of a platform is you're trying to show that, you know, all these artists can st stick to the strict shape and how versatile the platform is. And I, I don't mind like the ones with like, you know, the one with the chainsaw or maybe even the, the woodpecker on the head, like that's a little extra piece. That's an accessory, but like. Junko Masunos, I have a real problem with that one because to me that's like a different toy. Eh, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree to disagree because I I get I get it, but I don't know. I feel like it's very Junko. Like it fit. It just it makes sense. And I don't know. I feel junk, like why not just make a Junko toy then? Just say, just say oh we're also making this Junko Masuno toy. It's an original sculpt. I mean probably wouldn't be that much more money than what they've done now anyway. They've you know adding the extra arms and stuff. I don't know. I like it. I, I think I it makes. I, I'm, 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 but I'm the asshole anyways. But I kind of, I kind of agree with all that. It, it's, I mean, you're setting up a new platform, but you're also setting up that the platform doesn't matter. It, but it seems like the way I don't know. The impression I get is that they're approaching the platform as interchangeable in a way with all the shoes and some of the accessories and stuff. The impression I've been getting is. Like, I could expect down the line that the hands can pop off and replace with a different hand along with the shoes. So it falls in line with that a bit to me. Like, obviously, the shoes are an accessory. They're already pitching that one of the stretch goals is to add a different shoe type. So maybe down the line, they'll add different arm types. And so it maybe fits in line with that. So I guess based on that perspective, that's why, I don't know, it it fits with that concept of an interchangeable platform which is the impression i've got that they're trying to go for i but, mean really the only thing that's the same on all of them right now is the body because there's different heads there's different arms there's different feet so really the platform yeah. is the body i mean they is all it? have the same i don't know they all have the same overall structure though right i mean, I, I tend to agree with you Teresa. i know that i hear what you're saying aaron george you know thinking about it should stay true to the, to the actual form. And I think it kind of is. Yeah, there's some subtle changes and they're going to need some additional tooling for the new head shapes and slight changes, but it's still very much janky in shape and form and recognizable as a janky. It's not 
completely tanking the the sculpt and making it almost unrecognizable janky. So in that regard, I feel like it's still very much working with the platform, so I don't have any issues with that. But also another thing that I found interesting about this campaign is there's no blank jankies uh, being made available. So I don't know how much this is really intended to be a platform other than being an artist series for mass production. And that's what, you know, Paul did with the Dunny. He never made that available as a DIY figure either. Yeah, I would think so. He'd probably, I mean, that's it. That was his whole thing, right? Like that was his aesthetic. So I would see why not carry that along. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to imagine we're not going to see a blank uh, version of the janky for release. Um, guys, we're almost pushing 30 minutes here, so let's start wrapping up the janky talk. I didn't plan uh, on us talking on it this long, but it's definitely deserving of it. So I'll just say, um, Hawk and Paul, congratulations on the campaign. It looks fantastic. I'm sure it's going to do exceedingly well for you all. Uh, we're definitely looking forward to what you have up your sleeves with Super Plastic. And um, welcome back to Toy Free, guys. I think it's funny. They're in their bios. They say they both wear size 13 sneakers, <laughs> which probably explains why Jinky has such big shoes. <laughs> what, what size shoe are you wearing? Maybe we should talk to you and about your 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 Thailand Expo adventures. Uh, I'm only at 12, so oh, sorry. Guys. Wah, wah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's jump to TT talk. This talk was fun. I think it's really exciting. At least finally some something new. But yeah, I want to know about ah. Uh, Aaron, it was like one of those shows where I'm just, ah, oh, yeah, you sit here this, and was, just... this was your show, like the the the, 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 the booths around me. You would have just, you would have been oh. one of the screaming maniacs in the, <laughs> you know, lines. They they lined up every day. Certain booths, like uh, the booth next to me, Toy Zero Plus, they had. Oh, I love Toy Zero show. Plus had they had the big back bears, and every morning people lined up to buy those big back bears. You know those little white bears. Are the you with them? What do they call? I, I call them Big Back. They're Bok Bok? Yeah, B-A-C, B-A-C. So Bok-Bok. I call them Bok okay, Bok. Yeah, Bok yeah. Bok. yeah they, they, those white bears, they were like, yes. they were everywhere. Yeah. I, I, I'd say the first morning, our, people couldn't even get to our booth because we were like, we were blocked out by people lining up for those. And um, cool. on my other side was, forget the name of the company, I have to look it up, but you probably know them. They, they sell these little, tiny, little ducks. I mean, when I say tiny, I'm talking like half-inch size ducks. They With sell all them in the different cups. faces? Yeah, and they sell them in cups, like uh, like frozen yogurt cups. So you buy oh. like you buy like either a small little frozen yogurt cup of them or um, like extra small, small, medium, large, extra. You know, they have like four or five different size frozen yogurt cups. And then they just dump the toys and, you know, they dump the little ducks in there and the girls go crazy and buy them. This from some guys too, I guess. But, um, well, hold on, Aaron, Aaron, hold up. So we're going to need a play by play from you. So we're always talking about how Western conventions seem to be different than Eastern conventions, but we've really never been able to tap uh, into like what the big difference is because we haven't been there ourselves. And I think a lot of people that have gone to the Asia conventions are just, it's just become their norm. So they don't know how to explain what the differences are. Uh-huh. So you having not been to one before, and this is your first one, paint a picture for us. What's like, are some of the biggest differences uh, from what you've experienced? So like, I know that Thailand Toy Expo, that's in a mall, right? Yeah. Okay. So I'll start at the beginning. So Thailand Toy Expo is held in Central World Mall, which is a luxury mall. Uh, it's not the luxury mall, but it's one of several luxury malls in central Bangkok. I think it's six stories, and, and it took me like a day just to kind of figure out how to get to my booth quickest and stuff. I mean, it's it's not like a up, down, left, right sort of thing like an American mall. It's like 
it's like a giant spider web and it's you know there's all these multiple floors and and uh they try to keep most of the thailand toy exhibitors on the ground floor i say most because like instinct toy had a huge exhibit on the third floor i believe they were on the third floor huh. and um i'm trying to think who who else was on different floors there you know it was like i said it's they try to keep everyone sort of in somewhat of a t-shape there's like three wings like i uh martian toys was in eden one uh the section i was in had uh course toys amanda Vassell, toy cube mighty jacks toy zero plus pucky kenny's world and a couple others that I can't remember their names of right now. And then, like, there was another section called Dazzle. And Dazzle had most of the artists who were just, like, individual artists, like John Paul Kaiser and Remji, Candy Bolton, and um, Lofi, and Jelloween, who I met when I went to Korea back in February. And they had their own booth. And trying to think who else was over there. Uh, uh, Fluffy House was over on that side. Then, then there was another section that had Unbox. And Kuro, how do you say this? The company Kuro Bukan. This is yeah, bad. Kuro Bukan. which is yeah, Josh. <laughs> it's Josh Arturno's company. I didn't realize Josh Arturno was he was plastic culture in Indonesia. He plastic culture was, to my knowledge, the only designer toy shop south of the equator in, in Jakarta, Indonesia. And he's had several versions of the store, but he's had more luck as a producer than as a retailer. So, um, yeah, he was over in that section with Unbox and trying to think who else was over there. There was some good stuff there. I can't. What was different about it? So, I mean, compare it to like going to a designer con or a Five Points Fest. Like, how was it different? Was the booth setups different or was, yeah. was the oh, attendance yeah, different? You know, the, you know, it's open to the public. There's no admission fee. So, you know, regular, you have a mix of like hardcore toy collectors mixed in with just regular mall shoppers. Okay. So, if, you know, anyone listening, is an artist or a small company who's thinking hmm, maybe I should give it a shot next year. My advice is if you do decide you want to exhibit at TTE, you need to have a mix of, of products from a range of price points. Like you need to have stuff for just mall shoppers who, who are just going to want to, you know, maybe only have 10 or $15 to spend. Then you had your high end stuff, you know, obviously course and instinct and, and they had auction, you know, hosts were doing auctions on mollies and other things. Mm -hmm. and, uh, those the auctions were crazy. I mean, some of those things were auctioned for like five thousand um, dollars. What was the auction for? You know, is it called? Uh, I I don't know who got the money. To be honest with oh, you, yeah. I I, I kind of walked in on the middle of several of them. I think artists get some of the money, obviously. From what I read, Gary, I, I believe it was for a charity. I don't know specifically which one. Let me see if I can find it real quick. But uh, after the fact. Instinct toy, so it was a custom erosion molly auction. So it was all different artists they brought in to customize their erosion molly platform. Mm -hmm. And they said that they had 15 different pieces auctioned, and in total they raised 10 million yen, which I believe is around what the nine yen or bot yen is Japanese. This is yen. He released the, the numbers in yen, so it's 10 million yen. So it dropped two zeros from that. Is that right? Yeah, so I think it's around ten. I think it was around ten thousand dollars USD that it raised. I think is, it's a hundred thousand. I think ten million yen is a hundred thousand dollars. No. All right, let's double check this. Yen to USD. All right, so back while she's looking that up. Uh, one thing I really loved about TT versus other shows that 
uh, we've exhibited at is you basically you buy the booth and it's not cheap, but when you show up, the booth is built for you. Like each uh, in the section that Martian Toys is in, Eden, you get six glass cases, like they're pedestal cases, mm -hmm. and they're they're fairly large inside. And then you get you have a table, uh, and you have and they you send them the file for the banner, and so they print your banner and they install that for you. And then you show oh, up cool. and you've got you know some space behind the table to you know put your overstock, and then you have six display cases, and so. It's just, you know, that makes it super easy. Like, you just kind of show up, and it's all there for you. And then when you're done, you just pack up whatever you didn't sell and, and leave. And uh, I love that. <laughs> I, it's great. I think I, I will um, – I'll talk to the organizers of Five Points about doing that next year. If You know, I think they should at least explore the option. They could probably have those glass pedestals made. I don't know. I mean, here they probably had them made for, like, 20 bucks each. Probably cost more to have them done in the States, but – Nevertheless, you could build that into the booth price and, you know, gives, you know, give it everyone, it makes setup easier and it would, you know, make the place look way more professional. I felt like, you know, it was a very, TT is very well done. It's put together very well. That's so cool that they print your banner and provide you the booth setup, like the, yeah, the I mean, case. They really don't cool. do it for free. I mean, it's built into the, you know, it's about the same yeah. price. A booth at Thailand Toy Expo is about the same price as New York Comic Con. But the difference is New York Comic Con, you don't get anything. Like, you don't even get a table at New York Comic Con. You get, uh, you get curtain, you know, there's, there's a curtain <laughs> on either side of you and on the back of you. And that's all you get at New York Comic Con. So you get this all built into the price. So yeah. I also would say that, you know, a lot of the stuff that Martian Toy sells is what I call mid-tier price. And I think... That's kind of tough in Asia. I, I think there's more customers that buy kind of stuff under $30. Then you have like, you know, Course and Instinct, they sell stuff that's several hundred to several thousand dollars. And I, and those, they seem to, you know, clean up at this show. So I think being mid-tier is kind of a problem. Now, if some of it might just be, you know, that you have to build, you know, brand awareness, like familiarity, like, you know, Martian Toys is Western vinyl. So there definitely is a distinction between Western vinyl and Eastern vinyl. So, I mean, that's probably a factor as well. Okay, and so playing that to that distinction, I've, was there any sort of advantage to you being there as a Western producer and a, a carrier of Western vinyl product at an Asia convention? I imagine you were one of the, the few there, and I have often heard that Asia really loves Western product, especially when it's pop culture based. So, was did you notice any sort of advantage, or was there like an allure to you being there at the convention as a as a Westerner? I, I mean, uh, I. I yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, John Paul Kaiser and Remji did really well. It, uh, uh, I mean, I didn't talk numbers with them, but they were, they were in high demand, you could say. As far as Western companies, I mean, who else was there that's West? I mean, it's like, for instance, Course kind of skirts the line between Western and Eastern. I guess technically they're based in L.A., although that's another subject altogether. But, you know, they're, they're all, of, all of their stuff ships from China. So if you buy something from course you're actually you're importing it so i, I kind of don't really consider them a western company i consider them an eastern company so i don't yeah. know i think i we did okay we there was no way we were the most popular group i mean i would say pucky fluffy house those were I, in the sections that i could see like i i was in eden most of the time and i spent the second most amount of time in dazzle the, the section that unbox was in I wasn't in the Unbox wing as off as much as the other two wings, so I don't really know. I know Unbox crushed it at DesignerCon last year. You know, we had this big discussion about, 
janky and, you know, Kid Robot's name was dropped a few times. But, you know, if anyone who went to DesignerCon last year, I mean, uh, you know, if you go to DesignerCon, the three most relevant brands today are Unbox, Instinct, and ToyCube. So, I mean, it's like, you know, like janky represents sort of like that, that retro turn of the century, late 90s toy. And so, you know, it's funny that we're spending a lot of time talking about that kind of stuff when I think in most of the world, the interest has shift to something else. Would you say it shifted to cuter stuff? Uh, yeah, yes. <laughs> cuter stuff. You know, like I said, fluffy yeah. house. Oh, yeah, I met, right. I, met uh, I met Yo-Yo. I think that's how you say her name. The girl that designed the Loki, the bat, little cute bat. And oh, I, Yoki? I'm, I'm assuming yeah. you guys have talked about that. Like, that's probably the most popular designer toy in the world currently. You know, I want I, that, them so bad. And those, those are, you know, John Paul Kaiser painted one. Someone gave him one. I, I don't know. Hopefully he doesn't mind me saying this, but someone gave him one, you know, during the show. And, you know, John's not much of a partier. So, you know, he went back to his hotel room and painted one and sold it the next day. And, you know, there were people willing to kill for that. So, you know, I um, want to say that JBK Yuki that you're talking about, I, I think I read that sold for like $2,500. Yeah. No. Yeah. Re Remji sold something. Remji had a piece that sold for over $2,000. That's crazy. You know, but this is you know auctions what? beyond the Molly stuff. Yeah. Right. With that JPK Yoki custom, which is like a cute yeah. little bat, those aren't familiar. It, the final auction price was 110,000 baht, which Google Trent, if you use the Google um, converter, is about $3,500 USD. Wow. That's crazy. Crazy. <laughs> what yeah. what figure are we talking about here? Because I'm completely it's, lost. It's called, oh. uh, George, it's called Loki, L-O-K-I. No, no, no. Y O K I. Oh, sorry. Yoki. Is it Yoki? <laughs> Yoki. Okay, Yoki. You're right. Yeah, it's Yoki. Y O K I. Yoki. And the artist, her name is Yo Yo. Y O Y O. And she's from Hong Kong. I've been told that people line up blocks. They have three, four blocks long lines in Hong Kong when she does a new colorway. That's crazy. Well, and and if you want to find her, George, so if anyone wants to look her up on Instagram, her handle is icy white yo yo. I see why white Y O Y O. But her. I Google imaged it and it's adorable. It is like the it? cutest yeah. thing. I want one so bad. And all I can do is just drool at her page. It is so painful. It's painful. Oh, God, I want one. Hey, I so think Aaron, I think you might be able to get one at five points. I think. What? I think, I think Corey Corey might have a few at five points. Good yeah. luck, Teresa. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually I'm holding one for another store owner, but she hasn't paid me yet. So if she doesn't pay me in the next three weeks, I'll let you know. <laughs> OK, how about you? Cut, how about you cut that down to an hour and then sell it to me? <laughs> no, I think she'd be a little upset. So, oh, my goodness. Well, so real quick, Aaron, and I know this is jumping back, but being mm. in a mall and you said that you you felt like having a range of price points. So are you saying that the mall itself, the the mall itself is still open and did not shut down? So like I could be going to the mall that day to go buy a piece of clothing and see this event and go check it out? Yes. Yes. In fact, during the the setup was on Wednesday, the, the 2nd. So I got there in the morning and I started setting up and you know, putting price tags on and everything. And as I was setting up, people, you know, mall shoppers would come in and say, "What is this? What are you doing?" 
what what's your company did you make this no i'm just the store owner who's the artist do you have their car so setup day no. okay so here's one of the disadvantages of the show being in a mall it's setup day is also sort of a pre-sales day because i'm sitting sitting there trying to set up but i'm also having to like you know answer customers questions you know people mall shoppers questions but it, it turned out to be worth it because there was a couple from China that happened to walk by and they fell in love with Heather Hyatt's work and they said, can, I, can we just buy them now? And it's like, it's not really fair. The show doesn't start till tomorrow. What time tomorrow? It's like 10 a.m. She said, okay, we'll be back. And I was like, all right, all right, see you tomorrow. <laughs> I, you know, I wasn't. So she came back the next day, that lady from China, and she bought every piece of Heather's. Wow. She, I, <laughs> emptied, I emptied the entire case out. And her friend bought one of Heather's, but... Her friend was standing right with her. We basically took, I opened the glass door and I took everything out of the case and she yeah. walked away with all of them. Yeah. So it's, crazy. It's, it's worth it. But you, you kind of like set up next year. If I come, I'm going to, I definitely need to hire somebody to come with me for setup day because I was alone during setup day. And it was like, I was trying to put price tags on stuff while, while I was, you know, answering customers questions because set up and it's open. It's the mall's open seven days a week, 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. And oh, that's I'll nominate thing. myself, Aaron. Find me out. No, I'll help I you out. I said I, I called the first. Gary. Shotgun. You, you know, I can't. I can't hire a local who's a little bit less expensive than you two, but we can talk <laughs> about it maybe. Um, yeah, yeah. The other thing I'd say is it's a twelve. You know, the mall's open ten a.m. to ten p.m. And so they sent out a notice maybe like a week before the show, and it said, you know, you're obliged to stay open until ten p.m. And if you don't, you won't be invited back. Wow. But, but but here's the thing is like, so the first, you know, that Thursday and Friday, I was like, I got to stay till 10. So I'm staying till 10. Everyone around, you know, everyone, all the other booths around me were closing up like 8, 8, 8.30. And then by Sunday, I'd say like a lot of the artist booths, they were closing up at like 6 o'clock. Huh. And so I'm, I'm assuming because I stayed later, number one, I'm not going to be uninvited back next year. And, and I don't think, you know, if, if John Paul Kaiser left at six on Sunday. I don't think they're going to uninvite him. I, I think they might like ha having John at the show. So, but yeah, they, they kind of scared me before. And I was like, man, I got to work four twelves. You know, I haven't worked wow. four twelves standing on my feet and it's been a while. So do you prefer this experience over doing a, just a standard convention hall? Or do you like actually being in the mall where you can have general public walk through and see your stuff too? Yeah, I, I like, I like the mall. I, 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 yeah, it's really cool. It's better than the convention in a lot of ways. I mean, you're in the mall. There's all this, lots of great restaurants and stuff. So, and and I had I had you know I don't know if I mentioned it, but I had Yoey there from New Zealand, and Quix was there, and uh, Wetworks Carlo. So you know we took we kind of like Quix and I would take lunch, and then Wetworks Carlo and Anna would take lunch. Okay. And so yeah, you know, it worked out pretty well though. Okay, now was there any language barrier in Thailand? Because I've often heard that a lot of Thai know how to speak uh, English very well. It's uh, taught in the schools and all that sort of stuff. So was language uh, barrier any sort of an issue? Well, yes and no. There's a lang there are some language barrier moments, but um, and there's enough people around that, that speak Thai and English that can translate if there's a problem. Both at the show and in Bangkok in general, there's a lot of Chinese um, tourists. Okay. You know, if anyone's going, if they have somebody that speaks Chinese, that's really helpful. I met George from Double Toys. He was a couple booths down for me. And uh, I, you know, when I'd have a Chinese tourist come over, I would I'd yell down to George like, hey, George, can you come help me? And, and then George would come and translate. So, um, 
It, it's all right. You can you can get by. I don't speak a, a lick of Thai, and we did okay, I think. Okay. Um, now, Aaron, I'm also curious about queuing of lines and that sort of stuff. How was that handled at the convention? Uh, okay. They're not as orderly as, say, uh, Japanese or Koreans as far as, like, you know, certain countries are much more structured. Um, but, yeah, the people here are a little bit more informal. Then, so sometimes people sort of cut in line. There's a little, there was, I remember at one point during the backpack line set up the first morning, there were people were pushing and somebody knocked over a display case in another oh, no. booth. Yeah, and it was like, I mean, no one got hurt or anything, but yeah, there there was a little bit of commotion the first couple of days as far as people lining up for stuff. And, okay. When I, mean, but I, when I meant queuing, I kind of meant more of like, how were the lines handled? Like you mentioned, there's a lot of popularity of items, so was anyone sleeping overnight? Did the you know the lines oh, wrap no. around the mall? The, uh, you know, were there lotteries and numbers given and stuff like that to keep it more you know orderly? No, I would say like for the backpack lines, there were maybe the first two mornings, it was like 100, 100 deep, okay. 100, 100 people deep. Um, same for, for Pucky. You know, I would say she probably had lines maybe not as long, but maybe 75 deep the first couple days. There were lines in the morning to buy her toys, and then, then she would come in the afternoon. Like she had, she has like a manager and uh, someone who worked the TTE booth. So like she wouldn't necessarily be there in the morning she'd come in the afternoon and she would sign people would line up to get stuff signed by her okay so yeah um so uh, related to queuing because i'm kind of curious because you know when you can't be at tte you pretend you're there by perusing instagram and other people's pictures and such and i saw that for at least some booths it seemed like they had like taped uh, either paths for queuing or like lines with the booth name so that like people would get in the right spot to queue. Did you see that a lot or was that just like a booth specific choice to like that must have that must have been way? a booth specific choice. I didn't see that. Now the other thing I failed to mention so far is there was a big tent outside and the big tent there were actually two tents outside with more exhibitors in those. And uh there was a lot of cool stuff in those and out in the tent too. I mean by the time I, I usually the mornings are the biggest rush, so I wouldn't get out to the tents until the afternoon. And by that time, everything was sold. Like you know, obviously people have contacted me before, asked me, "Oh, can I pick up this or pick up that for them and bring it back?" And so by the time I got out to the to the tents, the stuff was sold out. So I would think maybe if you saw photographs of tapes and you know saying this is the line for this, it was probably outside for the in the tents. So are you are you are you bummed that? you ended up being stuck in your booth most of the time and didn't have a chance to really peruse and shop yourself? I got I got out in the afternoon. It's just like if the, if there was anything super popular that I wasn't, you know, what ends up happening, George could probably tell, tell us, is like the more you produce and sell, like you, as a collector, you sort of diminish as a collector. So the, the collector in me is dying and the, the producer in me is growing. So it's like... I. You know, I'm okay. The fact that I missed out on on things, like I would have really liked to have had a casing lung toy. Any, I would have taken any one of the colors. But every afternoon when I got out out to the tent to buy one from him, I met him, talked to him. He's a super nice guy. His stuff was all gone. You know, I was like, oh, sorry, sold out. You know. Uh, yeah. Were you but, out I mean, there as a store though, Aaron? Like, were you looking to you know buy stuff wholesale and bring it back to the states? I, I did. I bought some things. <laughs> Certain other stores asked me to buy stuff, so. 
Yeah, I've got a little bit of a suitcase issue going on right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I bought a few. I brought a few things that I'm planning to bring back for five points. One thing that I probably like most about everything you've said, I like the fact that the areas were called like Eden and Pleasure Island or whatever else. <laughs> Here in the stage, yeah. we're boring. Everything's just hall C, hall B, hall A. That's why don't we have yeah. that here? That's so much more fun. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, it's uh. So we're you know you're talking about Eden and Dazzle and like the different floors and sections. Mm-hmm. Were they were they like randomized or were they themed? Like this is like like I could see if we talk about Five Points or Decon making like. A cute area and a Sofubi area. No, like, I don't want that. Do you? I don't know. I'm just I'm just asking okay. if that's how they did it. I, no, and not only, like, I think Gary's saying no for a different reason, but I would say, think, imagine if they put all the cute Sofubi oh, in fair. one section. It would be madness. It would be like the lines. <laughs> if, they put, if they put Pucky and Fluffy House right next to each other, it would be like, yeah, just, it would be... Just, just crazy. Just go yeah. ahead and park an ambulance outside of that area because Teresa exactly. and everyone else would have <laughs> cute heart somebody, attacks. Somebody would get hurt, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, Thai people are you know much smaller than you know Westerners, but still, somebody would get trampled and and die if if you put Pucky and Fluffy House next to each other. So <laughs> I, I think they just random. I think it's randomized. I do think Dazzle was mostly Dazzle seemed to be mostly artist booths, but Fluffy House was there, but. I, I don't know. Is Fluffy House a company or an artist? I think it's a company. It's a company. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, but there were more of the artist booths were in the Dazzle section. Okay. Um, I was just curious. All right, well, let's hold up. I'm just taking an intermission for some sponsors here real quick. So for all your designer toy news, wants, and desires, we got two great stores for you. There's 3DRetro.com, and 3D Retro also has a beautiful brick-and-mortar location out there in Southern California. So if you're in the area, be sure to check that out. And also we have strangecattoys.com. So visit strangecattoys.com and be sure to use promo code SOTERESA at checkout and you'll receive 10% off your entire order. And that's SOTERESA, S-O-T-H-E-R-E-S-A. No space between SO and Teresa. And you receive 10% off your entire order. And for all your daily designer toy news, be sure to like and follow spankystoke.com and thetoychronicle.com. And I also highly suggest that you download the Toy Chronicles um, application. It's just really awesome and easy to use. So you can download that at any one of your favorite application stores, and then away you go. So, so George, we haven't heard from you too much about the convention. So what do you think so far? Does it sound like something you would want to go and check out, especially with it being in a mall and all that stuff? Uh, probably not for me. Um I mean, I, I would like to see it just to just to have gone to a different convention and just to go somewhere like cool and experience that yeah. part of it. Would you say, George, you like? I mean, you probably like the more chill type of convention. The, I don't know. I always feel like I hear Asian conventions are crazy. I don't know, Aaron. Did it feel crazier? No, it didn't. It didn't really feel that. It felt a little manic Thursday morning, but it didn't. It, like I said, it was in a luxury shopping mall. It didn't feel as crazy as New York Comic Con. It didn't. It didn't have that sort of. You know, there's no cosplayers there. There's no like world premiere of you know the latest Walking Dead or any of that stuff. You know, there it's it's a it's a toy show. You know, it's, it's toy designers. So you know, it was it was pretty chillax overall. You know, a lot of the booths had lotteries, and if somebody won a lottery, you'd hear some girl scream out like, 
yes, you won. <laughs> but, you know, for the most part, it was pretty chilled. Well, talking about premieres, Aaron, so you also had a, a really great week last week. You released the Mr. Self-Indulgence toy along with the little Mr. Scoopy, and they sold out in the first day here in the States. I'm, but you also released them for the first time on the first day of TTE. Like, how did Mr. Indulgence sell for you over there? I was very conservative with what I brought because I was advised to be conservative because it's a $150 toy. Yeah. Um, I could have sold more here if I had brought them. I took, you know, some pre-orders or, you know, free shipping, offered free shipping on. So I sold, I only brought six. I sold those out in the first day and a half. And then I, then I sold like, I don't know, another 10 basically took people's address and, and did that. And then, like I said, online is where it's a very Western toy. Don't you think? So online is where most of the sales happened. Like we premiered it here Thursday and then it launched on Friday noon in the States. And so I think we sold out of the first 150 in like seven hours, something like that. Wow. So, you know, there were, people liked it here, but I do think it is more of a Western toy. I think people are more crazy about stuff like the Fluffy House blind boxes and the and Pucky's blind boxes. I think that was kind of more what people were into. Congrats on that success, though. I mean, that was a crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's a, well, just just starting, really, because there's there's uh you know, there's more in the works. There's an exclusive coming to Five Points Festival, but I guess I don't. I don't know if I have permission to say it's with. It's through another booth. They're going to have an exclusive flavor of Mr. Self Indulgence, and uh, uh, we'll have another exclusive flavor of Little Scoopy at Five Points. Ooh. And uh, we're also our big release for Five Points is uh, actually. I guess I'll go ahead and say now it's it's called Kranjes. It's by Austrian artist Tia, Tia Duro. Yeah, and. Um, so I'm pretty excited about that release. I think that is pretty iconic skull. So I think people are going to like that one too. Is that the one that's kind of very loosely based on maybe Mickey Mouse? Yes. Yeah. Extremely it's, stylized, uh, yeah. Extremely stylized. Tio's, you know, he's an artist that's been around for many years and he's done resins and, you know, it it'll should be recognizable to a lot of people when we okay. release it. Okay. Nice. So wait, um, if I want to find that artist... Teodoru, it's T E O D O R U, at Teodoru. I believe this is Instagram handle. Oh, okay. I wanted to go check them out. Okay. Because I don't think I've heard of them before. No, you'll recognize the work once you see it. I think. I don't know. This doesn't look familiar to me. Hmm. It's cool. I like it. I don't think I've ever heard of this artist before. Huh. Well, look at you, Aaron. You're introducing us to a whole slew of new artists. I think a lot of people yeah. weren't familiar with Noir's work. She's the one that did Mr. and Self-Indulgence and, and now uh, Teodoro. Yeah, I think uh, I, I'm, I'm surprised no one ever made a toy with Noir before. Like, She has so many great paintings that could become toys. So I, I felt like I kind of got in there and, and got this great opportunity as a producer that a lot of other producers somehow – I don't know how people missed her, but contract her up right now, Aaron. Yeah, yeah. Lock her in for the next four years. Lock her in. Lock her down. Yeah. Well, it normally makes sense, at least as far as her dessert themed stuff. I mean, anything that matches the Mister and Self Indulgence, I feel like should now be produced solely through you. So at least, at least it's yeah. all going through the same factory, painted the same way, maybe matches yeah. in scale and that sort of stuff. Cohesive. You know what's funny is uh, Ben from Three D Retro actually talked to her you know, like years ago at a art event he was at and he just never moved anywhere with it 
He's, he, he waited too long. He you slept, long. Ben. Way to go, Ben. Yeah, he, he, he has a lot of irons <laughs> in the fire, you know. It, it does, it is sort of what, I, it's in Ben's wheelhouse. Like, to, she's an L.A.-based artist that does, you know, lowbrow pop surreal, and her stuff is easily transferable to 3D. It's like, it totally would made it would have made sense for 3D Retro to have made something with her. But, um, you know... He, and I mean, there's only so much time in the day and there's only so much money. So, yeah. you know, it's also finding time and money to make all these things. Now, Aaron, I don't recall. Was there ever an edition size mention for the uh, the Cherry release? That was something I wanted to talk to you guys about on edition size. Like, to me as a collector, I always felt like I, I cared when something was limited to 20 or less. But if it was 100 or 1,000, I didn't give a shit. I feel like the only people who care whether an edition size is 100, 200, 300, 500, 750, or 1,000 are, are flippers and eBay resellers, which are basically flippers. And so, like, I have not, I've been very cagey as far as the edition size of Cherry. Like, and we printed 150, and I'm planning to make at least another 150, if not another maybe 350. I don't anticipate it ballooning past 1,000 ever, just because it's really hard to sell more than 1,000, $150 toys. But I was going to keep the OG somewhat open ended. I think as long as you didn't, like, we've talked about this because Teresa Chiba does it with her stuff, but I don't mind it at all. Because, like, Luke Chu did it with his prisoners. Uh, Oxy, I think, is the white one. or Whatever the white one is. Like, that's open edition. They made a ton of those. But then on other ones, they specifically said limited to X amount. So as long as you didn't release an amount for the cherry and say, like, limited to X, then I think you can do whatever you want. Like, as long yeah. as you didn't declare an addition size and then try to break that, I don't think there's any problem with Cherry being more open-ended and you just make is make more to meet the demand kind of a thing. Now, do you think, that the, do you think that the hot sales, though, were a lot of people thinking this thing's going to sell out and they have to get it now? Oh, yeah, versus probably. Versus open-ended? The same thing happened with Luke Chu and Teresa Chiba's toy. People get excited and buy it. But how, ex- know, how expensive not- were those, though? I mean, we're talking about a $150 toy. Yeah. That's true, but I mean, I mean, there's seven and a half billion people in the world. If, if I mean, is there really a big difference between a hundred and fifty and say five hundred? I don't anticipate uh, printing more than five hundred of these. But like to me, I feel like the only people who are really going to bitch about it are people who are planning to flip it. I, all I could say is, as a collector, Aaron, what would bother me is if I was told, was "Oh, you're buying a." Yeah, like a limited edition, one of one fifty, and then you make more later. That would make yeah. me mad. But you just saying, hey, we're selling a cherry and not defining the addition, and later I find out you made 500 not 100 Peace. It doesn't bother me. Yeah. It's funny. I almost brought up addition size to talk about it on your toy because I didn't know how many were made, and oh. uh, I just I couldn't get a word in edgewise. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this addition size about, to me, whether – I mean – as a collector, I never cared about a hundred versus. A, I think it's ridiculous when Funko says something's limited to five thousand. I think five thousand doesn't sound very limited. But to me, a hundred or a thousand, I never got it. Like I get the whole like when it's a resin. Like I bought Colas made six of the original jumpers, and I I got number one. I was pretty pumped about that. I think if it's under twenty, it's kind of cool. But to me, limited edition a hundred or a thousand. To me, the only people who are going to care about that are flippers. I'm in the same boat. I've never understood why anyone cares what the limited what the thing is limited to. I only have one. I don't give a crap how many more there are. Yeah, 
but there there's something I agree. Like once you get into the hundred plus, it's probably less of a thing. But there's something. I don't know, there's something cool, I guess, about being able to say, like, oh, there were only 10 of these things made, and I have one of them. It feels... Oh, I agree with that. The 10 or, the 10 or less thing, or 20 or less, that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's or just if like, it's 99, yeah, like... if it's less than 100 or less. So, yeah. so you know, you, you talked, Aaron, you're saying how you've kind of shifted to more of a producer mindset, and I know you're producing a lot of stuff. We're talking about all this... Um, you know, cool stuff and artists you're bringing into the scene. But while you were at TTE, were there, you know, from a producer mind mindset, did is there things you saw that gave you good inspiration as far as toy development or packaging or anything like that that you feel like we need to try to do more of over here? Uh, that we need to try, like we being American but producers Western, or American yeah, designers? Like, yeah, like, um, I don't know. Is there, like, interesting displays or packaging or things over there they're like oh that's really cool why don't we do more of do more of that well i think uh, you know one thing I, I pointed out to gary recently which was another conversation was there was this one artist his stuff was packaged in like a four color drawstring bag and i thought i thought that was a nice touch um on a bigger scale i would say like one of the things is like if you make a really nice toy I think in the West we've had this sort of mindset that you either you know everything is either a blind box or it's a you know eighty to a hundred dollar toy, and I think that they you know I think there's that price point in between that you can sell stuff at um, you know thirty dollar toy people don't mind spending thirty dollars for a toy in Asia for even a three or four inch toy if it's a real like like um, Yoki you know that's an example that's a little toy. But people line up all day to buy those. I think you'll start to see that in Western producers more. I think you'll start to see more of that or just like you'll have one-off toys versus sort of like trying to develop a platform, you know, blind box and, and try to sell them for $12, $13 each. I think you'll start to see more just kind of one-off pieces. You know, also, you know, you must be experiencing this personally, Teresa. It's like, you know, people run out of shelf space. So sometimes less is more like, you know, having a huge collection, having 30 little toys on your shelf, maybe it makes more sense to have a one really nice four inch toy. Yeah. You you can, I don't know. It's a different mindset over here. It's, it's a battle I constantly struggle with because I obviously collect a lot and I'm naturally attracted to small teeny toys. So (laughs) it's, it's very hard, and then I like both. I like some of the bigger stuff, so I end up just buying it all. <laughs> I mean, like but, the little toys. Like I just feel like I don't know how. I think you really gotta you gotta have a really good game plan as far as, far as how to display them. Like I don't know those little ones. They just they're they truly are just clutter on the shelf. When when you're standing six feet away and you have got these little one and a half inch toys on your shelf, it doesn't from six feet away it doesn't look like much. I mean, I I I derogatorily refers refer to those kind of sub two inch size toys is landfill toys because i feel like people get them they're cute they're cute they're novelty you put them on your shelf and then eventually someday five to ten years from now you're gonna be like oh this is just clutter i just need to get rid of it all (laughs) but maybe i'm wrong why what what do you george what do you think about that what do you think of sub two inch toys i mean it's basically all i'm surrounded by yeah (laughs) I love tiny toys. Like that's my favorite. I, I, I mean, 
obviously I predominantly collect small, but Here, here's how I think of small toys, Aaron. I've got like 2000 toys in my room right now. If they were all big, I could fit like 15. <laughs> I'd rather have 2000 toys. Okay. Amen, George. <laughs> it's just, well, from a producer standpoint, like if you make a little toy, if I make something a gotcha size and it doesn't do well, then I'm sitting on 20,000 unsold toys, which feels a lot worse than I'm, if I make a big toy and I make 500 of them and it does poorly, I'm sitting on 400 unsold toys. For, for some reason, I feel, it doesn't feel as bad to be sitting on 400 unsold toys than it would to sit on a thousand. 16,000. You know, I mean, I don't know. What are the numbers you got to do to do like something gotcha size, you know, two inches or under? You got to do. Well, yeah, I mean, numbers, that's one of the right? things. The, well, and that's also the other part of it is if you're thinking about it from a production standpoint, you got to sell a lot more $2 toys to make your money back. It's not easy making OMFG where each figure costs two bucks to sell and you go to a convention that costs you $2,000 for your booth. You can't, you got to sell a shitload of OMFG at $2 a piece <laughs> to make $2,000. When I look down at Monkey King and they only have to sell 50 toys and they've covered their booth price, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. if I sell yeah, 50 I mean, of my OMFG at $2 a piece, who cares? You know, it's like, yeah, that booth next to me with the little ducks. I, I'm sorry. I can't remember their name. If they're listening, they'll be annoyed that I, I was right next to them the whole time. But I mean, they were selling tons of those, you know. They were selling, they scoop them into those little yogurt cups. And, but I mean, they have to, the, the price was so little on those. I think they're like less than a dollar a piece. They got to just sell those things all day long to, to pay for any. I, I just did quick math here. So from if, if you're thinking about it from a maker standpoint and going to Comic-Con with a $2,000 booth, if you're selling a $150 toy, you have to sell 13 of them to cover your booth price. If you're selling a $2 toy, you have to sell a thousand of them. <laughs> like what? Are, what's more realistic, getting thirteen people to buy your thing or getting a thousand people to buy your thing? True. Yeah. So it's it's definitely easier, or not easier, but a better chance to make the bigger toy. But personally, I like to collect the little toy. I mean, if you have a good distribution network, you don't have these stores carrying your stuff. Then, uh, yeah. But there's only think- like what fifteen designer toy stores in the whole world right now, at the most. So yeah. Say, we just we need more more people like us, George, who <laughs> want the crazy teeny tinies. So speaking of designer toys, Aaron, last time you were on, you were you you were debating whether to keep the mothership gallery open or close it. And obviously you've decided to keep it open. So how's this how's the store going now that you've had more more time in Philadelphia? I don't know, somebody like said a prayer for us or like lit some sort of special potion i don't know what exactly happened <laughs> but since i don't know when i was on it was sometime in december right we yeah we, the store had a the, ter- the store had a terrible november and a terrible december and yeah the end of december like we were i, I was thinking about giving a 90-day notice and my new manager brian he was like do you mind waiting 90 days before you give your 90 days so that would be a june 30th store goes dark on june 30th i was like yeah I, yeah let's let's give it a shot so we tried a few different things and some of the things that we tried actually they didn't work but the store we're not exactly sure why i i think brian deserves a lot of credit but yeah the store is like completely done a 180 like wow. we're the store is doing you know pretty i don't want to hey you know tomorrow's a new day like every day is a new challenge and 
the designer toy scene is not for there's better and faster ways to make money than designer toys that's george knows but yeah i mean it's been going really well short cool. answer is the, the last four months have been really really good good now, yes, we're we're open for at least another year. By the way, it was just going to be this, the retail location. We weren't. I was still going to produce toys and still sell online. And you know, a lot of that is still majority of the business is still going to happen online. Even at Thailand Toy Expo, most of the sales for Mister Self Indulgence and Little Scoopy happened online. So, and that's how it's always going to be. Most of I would imagine most of the designer toy sales in the world all happen online. And then us probably the second most happen at conventions. And then you know, like I said, there's less than 15 stores that are predominantly designer toys worldwide. And there's less than 10 in the States, I think, by my count. Uh, if you guys have a different count, let do let me know, because I'd like to sell them some toys. <laughs> I don't either. I don't know the number either. But I mean, I get what you're saying. It's not it's not it's like a, it's, 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 it's a small a, group of people. It's, uh, yeah. you know, and I, I try to play win win as far as produ producing like somebody wants to reach out and they want an exclusive colorway on something we're producing, I'm totally down for that. You know, if you treat me good, I'll treat you good. And if everyone plays by that rule, then it should be, you know, everything should be good. Good to hear. Hey, uh, Gary, well, and everyone, I did want to close the loop forever ago. We were talking about auctions and the instinct toy one. And so I did want to clarify and you can always edit it and fix it, Gary. But um, there were actually two different auctions. So there's the Erosion Molly Customs that a bunch of different artists did. That was not for charity. That was just straight up auction sales. And But separately, there was a charity auction. And that was a custom made by Instinct Toy to auction for charity. So there was like two separate auctions going on. But you were correct. The 10 million yen is almost a hundred thousand dollars. Holy crap! Which is insane yep. for yeah. one piece. Ninety-one. I... No, 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 total. total. So those, okay. total, those total, total. But still, that's a lot of money. I knew it had to be more than ten thousand because I knew some of them were over five thousand dollars alone. So yeah, that the two of them would have been ten thousand. So I knew it had to have been a hundred thousand, or it was well over ten thousand. I knew that. Yeah. Google says 91,400. So I'm rounding up to 100, but still. That's a pretty hefty chunk of change for 15 customs. Mm -hmm. What is the math on that? 91,000. The math is there's money five. to spend in there. <laughs> but you, you know, like. That's on average $6,000 per piece. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. I mean, Ooh. the thing is, is, this didn't just happen. I think people get the wrong when they hear numbers like this or they hear about something selling out. People want it. There's there's people who try to jump in on the bandwagon. Sure. I mean, that didn't happen overnight. Like Jeep, who's the organizer of Jeep is like he is to the Asian toy scene. What Ben from 3D Retro is to the American toy scene. You know, he he organizes Thailand Toy Expo. I mean, things like this take years to, to work on it. As far as the Molly instinct, I mean. Instinct didn't have success overnight. You know, Hiroto's been working hard for many years to get to the, to the place he's at. Like, one other thing I was going to share with you guys is, like, after Mr. Self-Indulgence was released, and it happened after the snow cone release, you get several artists come out of the woodworks and say, hey, I can make toys too. And I'll say, hey, well, nice to meet you. What's your background? Well, well, you know, I'm, I'm an artist, and, you know, like, they'll have, like, 47 followers and, you know, they, they're they not, you know, I'm like, well, you, you know, it takes 
you have to like build up your name and you have to like, you know, you can't just go straight from, Hey, I've got a notebook with some great ideas in it to toy of the year overnight. It doesn't happen like that. You know, there's not just one path towards success, obviously, but whatever the path is, it doesn't, I, I mean, I don't know, George, I mean, have you seen anyone just like hand you a scrap of paper and then that became a toy and they became an instant success. I mean, you have like take Noah, for instance. I mean, she's a established gallery painter in LA for, for 20 years. Like these things don't just happen accidentally. Like it takes years of planning for things to happen. That's not how millennials think. <laughs> That's not, That's how, not how what think? Millennials. Millennials. Oh, <laughs> you, you know, so people get excited. They see something like this, you know, hundred thousand dollar auction or they see Mr. Self-Indulgence or, or they see the success Pucky's having and and they go, well, I can do that. And I'm like, yeah, you can do that, but you, you can't do it in the next 60 days. You have to build up a reputation. You've got to like maybe do a custom show first or, you know, get into sculpting, learn 3D modeling, build your name up slowly and then. It just doesn't happen like that. So I, yeah, I just I wanted to tone everyone down. Anyone listening who hears that ninety-one thousand dollars and sees dollar signs and go, "Oh man, I got to get on in on that." I mean, by all means, if you're excited about toys, get involved, but have some realistic expectations that it takes years for you know Rome wasn't built in a day. Now you're talking about yeah. the non-established artists. How about when you have a success like you know the Mister Self-Indulgence, or when you first started out with the Abominable Snow Cone? Did you hear from the established artists as well, or is it just primarily the unestablished? No, for the most part, there's maybe been one or two exceptions. For the most part, established artists aren't going to bring sketches to to me or to anyone, even to Kid Robot, and say, "Oh, here's something I've been working on. Do you want to produce it?" Like I always have to go out and I have to say, "Hey, would you like to make the toy?" And if so, what about this? I saw this piece of art you did. Or you've had this character, would you like to make this? And, and I, I have to be specific. And then maybe they'll come back and say, well, why don't we make this instead? If it's an artist that already makes toys, then they probably don't see any value in making a toy with a producer if they're already self-producing. And if it's a, a, an established gallery painter, if they don't make toys already, you have to go to them. I sought Noah out and I said, hey, I think I, I could help you make some great toys. And she said, okay. And I think I first contacted Noah uh, like a year and a half ago. So they take a long time to, to set up. Okay. But yeah, as so, far as established artists, they, I, I can't, there's one exception. I know one per, one established artist who came to me and said, hey, you want to make this? And and I wanted to make a toy with them, but it wasn't that specific toy I wanted to make. So Cool. I mean, I'm not saying there could be someone out there who has such an amazing sculpt that the sculpt and the character alone, would it would it would blow up. But Odds are, if it's not related to like a, a reference to a pop culture figure, a Mickey Mouse or or a Boba Fett or something like that, if it doesn't have a pop culture, if it's just an unknown artist doing an original sculpt, the chances of it succeeding are so low, so so low. But I feel like I've seen it happen. It, it, I mean, there's I, always exceptions. I'm not saying no. I'm just saying, hey, we need to we need to get you involved in some some group shows or do you do sculpting? Maybe you should get involved with a 3d sculptor to make your figure first. This is a resin, you know, start with a resin, do a run of 10. Can you sell 10 resins? And then if you can sell 10 resins, can you sell 30 resins? And then if you can sell 30 resins, can you sell a hundred resins? 
one little interesting thing that I've seen happen, there are established artists that they have their own resin figures. And I'll say, I've gone to a few artists and said, hey, let's make this as a vinyl. And they've run the numbers. They can make more money just releasing 50 resin at every show than they can if we made it as a vinyl and Martian Toys paid them a royalty. So that's that's the other. I mean, there's a character out there. I won't name this person, but I know uh, I'll tell you, Teresa, off air who it is. I mean, I love her character. I would make it in vinyl like tomorrow, but she makes more money selling it as a resin figure at every show. She's a lovely, lovely person, and her her work is amazing. And uh, she has a resin, and it's a cash cow. Like every she's printing money every time she makes that resin, she's printing money. Say, I'll, I'll say this, Rich Page, he's another one. Rich Page is somebody that, you know, he's got his resins and he's printing money every time he makes a resin because they're going to sell. He keeps them short run, he keeps them limited, and they sell. So he doesn't really have a need, at least right now, for a vinyl, you know. Who who are you referencing? And we can cut it. Who are you talking about before <laughs> Rich Page? Are you going to cut it, Gary? Thanks for making more work for me, Teresa. Oh. Sorry, but I really want to know. <laughs> Go ahead, Darren. Oh yeah. I would make that character I don't vinyl want her... tomorrow. I love that character. No, but... I don't want her to change though because her resin pieces are just quality and they're limited run and everything. No. What are you saying? Change. I don't make quality? How dare you? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, I can well. she, she can make she can make more she can make more money just selling resins of those than she can making that well, in vinyl. Yeah, it's it. I'm more when I mention quality, I more mean as a self-produced toy. She and Muffin Man nail quality to a T. Yeah, it, it is the Muffin most, Man is like, a, he's a genius. Yeah. He's a perfectionist. Yeah. He's he's insane. a wizard. His little yeah. robins. I don't know if you guys have seen those robins. Oh my gosh, life. yeah. They are they are exquisite. I mean, they look like little pieces of blown glass. They're rotocast resin, clear resin. And he does it without getting bubbles in it because he keeps the resin so thin. I mean, yeah. he's such a perfectionist, that guy. He's, I would love to meet, that's one, like, obviously I'd love to get to any kind of convention, but he would be fantastic to meet or even just like watch how he does stuff because I'm, it, insane. Every, I'm going to jump in real quick. We're at an hour 45. I got to start trimming out about 10 minutes. So let's not talk anymore. We're going to have to start wrapping it up. <laughs> Okay, well, you can find me. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm sorry, Aaron. This has been a great discussion, but we're running long. We gotta, sure, we, sure, we sure. gotta, we gotta start wrapping it up. So, uh, enjoy the rest of your stay in, in Thailand, and congratulations on the great week you had with Mister Self Indulgence and Thailand Toy Expo. And we look forward to seeing you at Five Points Fest in a few weeks. So, why don't you take a few moments and let our listeners know where they can find you? Yeah, uh, go to MartianToys.com. You can also see us on Instagram, Martian Toys, or if you're in the Philadelphia area, uh, go to 223 West Gerard Avenue, Mothership Gallery. Uh, we're open most days. If it's dark inside, just knock on the door. Brian's probably making toys in the basement, and he'll be glad to show you around. <laughs> okay. Teresa, where can people find you? Sure. Yeah. If you all want to find me, just check me out on Instagram, tmhawk24. George. Can I use my shout out time to ask Aaron one question about the toy? Sure. Yes. Okay. Uh, real quick. It, the eyes on the Mr. Self-Indulgent. 
Was it the artist's call to keep that cutout triangle in there and not just paint an eye and let the gloss of real life fix it? Or what, what was the decision to keep that in there? That was her decision. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we added the varnish to the eyes and to the, and to the filling. Um, I hate, I hate the cutout. I hate the cutout. Yeah. It works great in painting, but it's a 3d uh -huh. real life thing. And that should never have been there. Other than that thing. I love that figure so much, mm. but that cutout eyeball bothers the hell out of me. Are you, you're talking yeah, about the little stylist. Yeah. And I, and I get it. It's part of the painting and it's, the, yeah. it's the look of the painting. And I totally understand why it's there. I was just wondering what the diff, like, why why it was chosen to keep that in there but if it's the artist's choice that's the artist's choice so you got to live with it it didn't bother me i i, I you know like i said it's like the painting so but George, oh no yeah it's perfect okay. it's perfect that and that figure came out amazing i'm not taking anything away from it the figure's oh, awesome thank you george are you yeah. talking about the pie or the we're, at, we're out of time teresa it was a quick question <laughs> you can ask me off the air gary where can we find you, <laughs> yeah, you can... no you didn't see where we can find you I used my well, He used time. it. He used it up. Who cares about George? Thanks for joining this week, George. No problem. <laughs> um, I'm Gary Ham. You can find me at Gary Ham on Instagram or superham.com. This has been the Marsham Toy Hour. We do this every week, not because we have to, but because we want to. So until our next transmission, we're signing off. And if you're still listening, next week we got Clutter coming on. We'll talk some five points and all the stuff they have going on. Bye. Bye. Okay. But George, you never confirmed. Were you talking about the pie eyes or the ice cream eyes? I'm talking about the pie eyes, the ones with the big triangle cut out of them. Okay, because there's a little triangle cut out of the eyes on the ice cream guy, too. Well, that's stupid, too, then. I didn't even notice that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, I got to go. Okay, Talk to you next guys. week. Bye. All right, bye. Later, everybody. See ya. Bye. Bye. bye.